0: Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Thanks for downloading this episode of On The Record Online, welcome to all our listeners. Regardless of where you're coming from, if you listen on the website, or if you listen through social media today, or one of our other syndicators, welcome. Um, Two pieces of content you might be interested in, in addition to this podcast today. We have a new report, The 7 Deadly Social Media Sins, uh, that you can download for free uh, on the podcast website at ontherecordpodcast.com, and that'll go through the seven most common mistakes organizations make with social media and what you can do to get it right, and then a second report as well that's available uh, on the podcast website, um, the Social Media Policy Development Best Practices White Paper, and that'll walk you through uh, what it takes to develop a policy that's going to be compliant with the latest government rules and regulations in the U.S. and beyond. My guest today is Jerry Crispin.
2: He is the founder and CEO of Career Xroads. They are a small international consulting practice uh, that he founded uh, with his business partner Mark Meller. Um, they facilitate dialogue between staffing leaders, and their aspiration is to contribute to a growing community of recruiting professionals who are dedicated to improving their business's long-term performance through staffing function. Jerry, welcome to the
3: podcast. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, I really enjoy the opportunity to have a conversation.
2: Well, I'm excited to talk to you about your Sources of Hire 2013 report. Um, First, before we sort of get into it, uh, can you tell us why did you create the Sources of Hire report? What were you trying to accomplish?
3: Well, I'll tell you, it was a long time ago. It was uh, almost... Well, probably 12, 13 years ago, 2000, 2001, my business partner and I were doing, uh, at that time, uh, quite a bit of consulting, um, and I had for the most part been through my entire adult life been involved in recruiting in one way or another, uh, literally all phases. And, and one of the things that, uh, became evident to me towards the late, uh, late 90s and into the early part of, uh, 2000, 2001, was to what extent the internet was in fact impacting um, how people were getting hired, you know, and 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 so it was a very simple yes no question, you know, at some point in your um, in, in looking for a job or in some point in looking for a person, you know, looking at both sides, um, did you have a current to use the internet? And I know that's a pretty dumb question in 2013, but, you know, even 12, 13 years ago, it was not only not a dumb question, but but actually it was a very small number. Um, I think one of the first ones, uh, one of the last times, uh, for example, a formal study had been done by a large organization, Society for Human Resource Management, uh, was in 1997. And at that time... Um, the internet was attributed in only three percent of the hires. If you think about it, um, but today that's uh, and in those days it was. If you said, "Did you use a phone?" Um, people would have said, "That's a dumb question. Of course, I used a phone." Today, it's the same way with the Internet. If I asked, well, did you use the Internet in any way to find a job or find people, they go, well, that's a dumb question because that's just too broad. The fact is, of course, I couldn't, I couldn't hire anybody without the Internet. Um, it's really how I use the Internet that's now important. Um, and, and by the way, we don't use phones anymore. <laughs> we use smartphones, <laughs> but no landlines. So that's what I did in, in uh, 2000 2001 and and then we began repeating that every year and um, and adding to it and getting a little bit more uh, sophisticated in how we collected data, uh, not only um, using it as a uh, kind of a lab report, if you will, uh, because I don't purport to say that it is uh, great data. What I suggest is that we really have to understand the limitations of the data we collect so that we can best learn from whatever we're, we're looking at.
2: It's interesting. Um, the first moment of truth is the first time that a customer um, encounters a product yes. in a lethal environment. Got it. And, um, and then, of course, the second moment of truth is the experience they have with the product when they take it home. And, and, so, the, and so that sort of <laughs> logic has been interwoven. Into marketing speak, uh, for years, um, several years back, Google started uh, promoting uh, AdWords uh, against what they called the zero moment of truth, mm-hmm. and that was you know the, the the time when you're searching for things online, and you find the product that you may actually encounter at the in a retail environment, so there may be some exposure to that product on the Internet first. And, um, you know, in, in a new book that just came out called What's the Future of Business uh, by Brian Solis, who is yes. guest on the podcast and I'll have a link to the show, he talks about this idea of the ultimate moment of truth, arguing that, you know, first they're going to learn about something online, searching, then they're going to see it in the store, then they're going to buy it, they're going to take it home have an experience, and last but not least, They're going to share about it and tell their friends. And he calls that the ultimate moment of truth. But his argument in this book is that there's so many things during this initial stage of social discovery that can derail the consumer because they're exposed to so many sources of information that, you know, you've got this sort of dynamic customer journey. You never really know, you know, which, what, what fork in the road is going to appear that they may follow. So how do you somehow create shareable moments that are most likely to lead everyone down the same path to conversion? And I guess what you're saying with, with your report is it's the same thing. There's so many different sources of information. You know, you can't just look at any one source of hire either.
3: No, in fact, um you know your comments about these different uh, uh touch points, if you will that these different moments of truth, whether you they're zero one two, three, or whatever um probably are a a a beautiful analogy in relation to um uh you know the recruiting and the working game. There are a couple i think subtle but critical differences in in the sense that when you take it in, in, from a customer point of view when you take it home um and then experience it. Um, you're really translating the expectations into reality, right? Um, and And when you're so that would be a uh, um, similar to accepting the offer, if you will, and then beginning to work and seeing whether or not those realistic expectations are in fact um, uh, delivered on. Um, the difference there are some subtle difference from a customer point of view in that there are many products that we want to engage customers with um, who, if we did not put them in front of them, would never know about them. You know, it's our job as, uh, from a marketing and sales point of view and a branding point of view to make sure that they see that they have this option to to have this experience in their life, whereas uh, from a work point of view, um, this is not a choice issue. Almost everybody must work. <laughs> so, so at the same time that you're trying to engage the quote uh, candidate as customer, the candidate as customer, in fact, um, has an equal um, um, need, if you will, for that. They can't do without work, whereas we can do without a lot of different products. Um, so, so there is a there's a different truth. To some of these, um, uh, experiences that, that has a, a very significant impact on that individual's life. We do make a difference in people's lives with a job, uh, much more so, uh, and obviously there are many products that do as well, um, but it, in, in this case, it's, uh, it's much more, um, I think connected.
2: Well, let me offer a different perspective on it. Mm hmm. In the report you write, uh, before we even begin looking at where your prospects were sourced in 2012, the ones who eventually become candidates, mm-hmm. then employees, and finally, valued employees, mm-hmm. uh, in, in hindsight, a quality hire, yep. think about how confident you are about the quality of that data on which you make your decisions. And I want to get into that, but before we do, uh, could you also make the argument that um, if the organization hires the candidate and that candidate becomes an employee, an employee and finally a valued employee is able to deliver on the expectations of that candidate um, that were formed during the hiring process, wouldn't that candidate then be more empowered to serve as a, a sort of ambassador or, if you would, uh, a, an extension of that organization's recruiting activities Uh, By what they say on social, couldn't you sort of set employees up to spread the message for you if, in fact, what they experience is the same as what they were
3: promised? Absolutely. Um and I do believe that more companies, as they're, they become more confident in the data that they have, that in fact they do have a quality candidate, that in fact we do uh, value the performance measures of these individuals, and that rather than um, hide them, we're we're kind of um, embracing and celebrating uh, the performance of our top candidates. That will that we will. Um, I think, in the future, make it easier for two things. One, not only for, as you say, the individual become an ambassador, but um, because social media is two-way to make it more possible for people who are searching for a great experience in a job to actually see who the ambassadors are, which is a little different. What we, if you set up the ambassador to go out and do things, they may or may not have the time, energy, or effort to do it, because fundamentally they're working <laughs> and they're working really hard. So we want to spend, spend some of the time uh, flying the flag, but not. But you know, we also want them, you know, putting their putting their heads down and getting the job done to, to to drive performance of the company. On the other hand, if we could enable more candidates through social media and other tools. To be able to see um, what it is about those individuals in their working, you know, how they're working, what they're working on, how they're engaged, the attitudes that they bring to work, um, the success that they're having with work, and to some degree, how they got there in the first place, what their journey was like. Um, if we can start recording that and making that accessible, then I think uh, more of high-quality candidates will find a path into our companies.
2: So I want to suggest kind of a far-out perspective here, and I'm going to think out loud on this one. Um, But you said we want our employees driving performance. Yep. What if employees drove performance through the use of social media just as they often drive performance through email or the telephone or I guess in the old days a fax machine since since it is a communications channel, wouldn't that have added value since social media communications are publicly available and recorded, discoverable by others through web search, shareable by others through web search. They would have the power to deflect inbound requests for information allow people to self-educate and as long as employees had a practical means for determining what could be said publicly on social media and what needed to be kept somewhat private uh, from public eyes competitors that type of thing wouldn't then the use of social media just to get the job done wind up promoting the company um, building awareness and ultimately helping recruiters attract more talent.
3: Well, it would, but it's unfortunately not as simple as that for a variety of reasons. One is the job itself uh, may not be amenable for to social media. Um, you but know, in terms of how it is.
2: Saying that a job isn't amenable to email, <coughs> a job isn't amenable to telephones. I mean, it's just a tool.
3: It's, it it oh, is it's just, just a tool, but there are. There are. Uh, what percentage of jobs do you think are service oriented versus not service oriented? Well, yeah, I mean, my, my point is that there there certainly is, and it it obviously is one of the variables is the type of job it is, the access to tools that will um will make social media navigation of social media simple and easy without without additional effort. Um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, but but the reality is your your, your supposition I think is accurate, and I think we're moving rapidly in that um, in that direction. On the other side, on the other side of the, the issue though, is not just what the employer does, but the education of the people using social media to learn about careers, to learn about jobs, to learn about. About work to learn about um, you know themselves in relation to all of those things. So we do need a, a much higher uh, level of education so that people will look for those things in a job and and be more likely to find and come across uh, the content that now is being created and curated uh, for them, right? So it does take two sides to this. I think we're going to see a world in which uh, there's a great deal more uh, coaching that takes place during the educational process, um, and that coaching may be may not necessarily be uh, traditional types of coaching, but, but mechanisms that allow people to learn about how to use social media in this way.
2: How do you see that happening at an enterprise or a,
3: or a large organization?
2: I mean, how do you practically train the enterprise on something like this?
3: I think it. I think it evolves over time, um, but I think the best way is peer to peer. I think uh, what we're seeing is that so much change is taking place that that fundamentally the opportunity to learn has to be much more real time. I cannot wait for uh, somebody to uh, perform a series of um, uh, activities that lead to some kind of result that then gets uh, reviewed at 15 levels, gets curated in a number of different ways, eventually gets analyzed and put into some kind of case, published in some kind of journal, and then two years later uh, you know, is the subject of a conference uh, session. What, what I really need to know is what people are doing right now. <laughs> what are my peers who are trying to do this? What are they doing right now, right at this moment? And what are the, the initial results they're getting? What are the landmines they're stepping on? Um, and and that, that is where the learning is going to take place and why, why I think our organizations are going to change at a faster rate is because a lot of these networked groups, of uh, staffing leaders, recruiters, uh, training people. I mean, all of the folks in almost every function within a corporation are beginning to engage people like themselves in other corporations. And as each of them takes one step forward, everybody else gets to see the step that person's taking and what happens.
1: So we're at a point where 91% of adults use social media Eighty-five percent of employers think there's a benefit to using social media at work. Half of all companies globally have had to discipline an employee for the misuse of social media at work, and still less than a third provide any sort of training at all. If you're ready to train the enterprise, um, comply socially, has 80 hours of online social media training courseware, Uh, that's available for license. It is uh, the most cost-effective way to train a large employee population and you can do it anytime, anywhere, on any device. If you're interested in becoming a reseller, hop on over to complysocially.com, visit the reseller link on the bottom of the page and fill out the form we'd love to talk to you. Or if you're at a company where you're in charge of social media and you'd like to get the rest of the folks retweeting, liking, and commenting on your stuff, we have a solution for you to scale engagement in the workplace and manage risk at complysocially.com, Check us out. When you look at employee
2: onboarding as a process, yep. what um, do you see, and just quickly sort of overview, what is the role of e-learning? How important is e-learning and do you see it growing?
3: Well, I, I, e-learning is going to be in everything, but, um, but clearly the onboarding process is a critical uh, touch point because you have now a commitment So on both sides. So you and I have basically said we, we agree to work with each other in the future, and I've got to finish up some stuff I'm doing here, so I'll be there in a month <laughs> or two weeks, whatever it is. But typically it's somewhere usually in about a month's time. And there are, there are two aspects of that onboarding process. We've tended to automate and figure out only one of them, which is really the transactional piece, which has to do have you, sign, have you signed all the right papers, have you made the right decisions in terms of various forms and benefits and so on? And, you know, are you in line to get your computer and whatever else I'm supposed to give you uh, when you come on board? I get all of that. We all get all of that. And and we've pretty much developed the mechanism to accomplish that. What we're still struggling with, I think, is how do I now start including you in uh, in discussions with the teams that you're going to be working with? How do you get to learn them, know them, engage them? How do you learn about our business, you know, when you haven't yet started? How do you understand my, my management style? I'm your hiring manager and, and you and, and I don't, I don't want to have to spend, you know, a lot of individual hours with you when you come on board. If, if I can help you and engage with you in a, in an ongoing way before you come on board, uh to better understand uh where where we're coming from at the at the job level, at the team level, at the group level, at the division level, at the company level, and how our company is impacting the communities we live and work in. And and all of that is cultural um, and yet and and yet we we have the the tools and the wherewithal to begin sharing pieces of that, we we know how to collaborate. We have collaboration tools. We can put people on, uh, you know, Google Plus uh, Hangouts. We can we can do all kinds of really cool stuff right now, that uh, that would uh, basically allow us to to create that onboarding uh, experience.
2: Let's talk for a minute about the actual survey. So, in the survey. Yep. Respondents attributed a paltry 2.9% of their hires directly to social media. How do you interpret that
3: finding? <laughs> that, that, uh, remember I, I mentioned that the phone an- analogy. Um, I think what is happening is, is really twofold. Um, one, we don't have the tools. Our tools are, are, are antiquated. We're always ahead of where the tools are that are measuring what we do. So our tools, which are applicant tracking systems, have a, a certain set of fields that allow for us to attribute directly the most important source of hire. And and what happens is when we think about social media, what else might have been involved? Well, I'll give you one a good example. I'm uh, I have a team of recruiters who instead of uh, posting a message on a job board actually go out to, let's say, um, uh, uh, conferences, find the people who are at the conference who have the skills that we're looking for, track them down through LinkedIn and Facebook and other social media tools, uh, call them up or email them or text them through through those social media tools, start to engage them and get to know them and build a relationship with them, and then uh, and then eventually put them in touch with the hiring manager who convinces them this is the right time, right place, everything, and they're on board. So so at the end of all of that, I've used social media 40, 50 different times uh, to get this person hired, but I have to choose one thing to attribute. And if I am going to, if I'm smart, the one thing that I'm going to attribute this to is to the recruiter who is the sourcer who used the social media tools. Why? Because I'm paying in my budget his or her salary and her benefits. And I have to substantiate at the end of the year that I put good money to good use And if I say social media was, uh, the result of all of these hires, then my company's gonna say, well, use social media, but get rid of those recruiters. And what I need is both. But I first need the recruiters to use the social media. So that's, that's an example. Uh, Another example would be, I attribute it to a bonus, to a referral program. And why? Because, because my referral programs offer a bonus. I'm spending money, giving employees money, for making a referral. And yet, the way in which they they connected with the candidates was through social media. I gave the employees social media tools. I may have told um, candidates. So, for example, there's a company out there, TiVo, that has a little uh, pie chart next to where you apply, and it says 48% of all our hires last year came in through referrals. Well, that's a that's like a huge red flag to any candidate. Before I apply, I better go get myself a referral. Well, how are they going to get a referral? They're not necessarily. Um, they don't know the names of all the employees in that company, but of course they could go to LinkedIn. They could say. TiVo, and they could say the name of the school that they came from, and they could find all the people who work at TiVo who graduated from the same school they were from. They could just they could contact them and, beca- and get a referral. So what are they doing? They're using social media. In the end, though, am I going to attribute those hires to social media? No, because I'm spending my budget, hard-earned budget dollars on referral program, and so obviously I'm going to attribute it to referrals. So that's why it's so low right now. What, what's going to happen in the next year to two years is we're going to find a, a way to say, here are the several factors that impacted this hire, and so the total percentages will come up to much more than 100%. And in fact, if two or three things on average are are actually impacting it'll come up to two hundred three hundred um, percent and then the numbers will be much different than what you're seeing right now
2: let's talk about the use of mobile for recruiting yeah G- give us an overview of what you found in the report about mobile as a source of hire
3: um, it, but it's not a source so the so the the answer is mobile is not Cannot be a source. It's a mechanism through which the sources act. So, so the point, the be, the better question, in my opinion, is to what percentage of all the hires was mobile a factor in? You know, uh, one of the methods of communication. So, you know, you could ask, well, um, you know, did you use? Uh, your smartphone, uh, to, uh, engage candidates, um, uh, directly. Did you text them, for example? A whole host of those things. How many of the candidates, in fact, heard, first heard about? That's that primary, so- uh, uh, primary touch point that you were talking about earlier. <clears throat> at, w- at what point did, did, was mobile, um, responsible for them seeing the, the the opportunity for the first time, and um, my my the data that I'm seeing, both from what I've collected as well as from what I'm seeing, is and obviously this is a moving target, is that is that mobile probably now is is impacting 30 to 50 percent uh, of all hires as as one of the critical means by which communication takes place.
2: Now, in the report, you have a section on channels of influence yep. where you talk about um, the other
3: um, The other pieces. I was trying to get a feel for, you know, how robust are these. So I, I said, okay, if – and this goes back to what we've been talking about if, – if, in fact, 30% of all your hires are referrals or 28% of all your hires are referrals, or 24%, whatever it happens to be. And during the course of most of the years that we've done this over the last 10 years, the range for referrals tends to be between 24 and 32%. So we're talking a quarter to a third of all of the external hires come from uh, attributed, are primarily attributed to referrals. But there's got to be something behind that, right? So, so um, what we're really interested in is okay if if in fact that's the primary what are the one two or three things that are secondary what's critical here and what we're discovering is that that's what's changing that's what we're that's where we're seeing the social media kind of rise up in a very significant way that's where we're seeing uh The career site becoming more of an influence in terms of how people are making choices. So, so when I, when I looked at this channels of influence, what I was really doing is saying, okay, you only, you're only measuring one source, but, but tell me which of the, of the other sources do you, do you believe was having the most influence? Now, this is obviously the people who are answering this are the people who are the leaders who are seeing the data in a variety of different ways, um, but still it becomes an um, aggregate of opinion. However, uh, those opinions are pretty strong, and I tend to uh, believe that if we, could, if we could measure them directly, those are the, some of the things we would see.
2: Just to review the sources of hire for 2012, yep. um, 24.5% cited referrals as the number one source of hire, number two is career site at mm-hmm. 23.4%, job boards at 18%, uh, direct source as, at just under 7%.
3: And that's uh, the internal, for those of your readers uh, who do not um, know direct sourcing from that perspective, what it really means is the internal recruiter, rather than sending a message out and waiting for someone to send a response back, is in fact tracking down individuals and trying to engage them directly.
2: Got it. Um, uh, college, 5.5%. Rehires, 3.3%. Third party, just over 3%. Social media, 29 Print, 2.3%. Temp, contract to hire, 1.5%. Career fairs, 1.2%. Walk-ins, 0.3%. And other was 7.2%. Now, is it possible that some of these folks interpreted LinkedIn to be a career site?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, not a career site. Um, LinkedIn is viewed by most of the people who responded to this survey. So, so let's talk about, you know, who the people are who responded to this survey. They're, they're people that I know. And the they are sta- staffing leaders in some of the largest, most um, well-known companies in the world. Um, collectively, we're talking about uh, several hundred thousand hires that were the, uh, of these companies that that are involved in the data. Um, I did talk to them to make sure that what they're supplying me is is in fact data that's in their system, um, and their and to some degree their interpretation of that data. I was curious as to where they got the data, whether they're accepting data that was a uh, self-report. There's a lot of controversy over um, how that data gets into the system. Uh, but in the case of these companies, they usually are taking multiple ways of getting that data into the system. So they're reconciling them. So it's a little bit better from that point of view. One key bias is that these are large companies. So smaller companies with fewer resources would and fewer recruiters would probably you would see larger numbers for third party recruiting for example, that would just make sense. And since most of these very large companies, their focus is predominantly on the um, experienced professional uh, class of hire, and that very often they're not measuring um, um, local or isolated. Um, hourly worker hires in uh, various uh, locations. Um, this is this tends to be more that level of hire than than hourly. So, if we were talking about um, companies where there's a lot of different, uh, you know, small facilities and hourly workers, you would have different sources that would would probably predominate. So, everything has to be taken in the context. Um, but um, I think it's it's kind of an interesting approach to to looking at this, and you still learn a lot.
2: But but you think they would see LinkedIn as a job site or a job board, or how would they? How would most? I think we.
3: I think uh, the answer. So it's a good question, and the answer to that is most companies have not determined effectively what LinkedIn is because um, they do not. They cannot tell whether because they, you can use LinkedIn as a job board, you can post a job on LinkedIn. But they did not differentiate. None of these companies differentiated between people who are hired as a result of posting a job on LinkedIn, or um, searching LinkedIn, searching LinkedIn, uh, for individuals who the, the recruiters then contacted directly, and said, I have a job I want to talk to you about. Okay, so the passive one, much more passive. Now, I would speculate, even though I don't have the data, I would speculate that the data that does attribute LinkedIn to the hire is more likely to be as a result of the job board than as the direct source, because if it was a direct source, that's a separate source code, if you will, and they'd be more likely to be attributed to the directly to the recruiter. So, so my answer enough. to you in, in the, the my long answer to you, in, drawn out is is I believe that the data reflects more of how LinkedIn is operating as a job board, even though it's much more than that.
2: Interestingly enough, on the ch- channels of influence
3: uh, mm-hmm. graphs, yep, if you
2: look at career site. Um, the first and second uh, contributing factors are job boards one and social media two under mm-hmm. career site, and then under job boards, it's career site one and social media two. So right. it looks like there's a real nexus, probably for LinkedIn, being graded by some as a career site, some as a job board, and some as social media.
3: Well, or or that they're all linked so that so that what happens is that people who go to the career site learn about a company automatically think that the next thing to do is to go to LinkedIn to find people in that company and vice versa. I see somebody at LinkedIn or I see a job at LinkedIn, now I go to the career site. Oh, so I think, nice. I think there's secondary influences and primary influences as opposed to looking at LinkedIn as a career site a career site. When I when uh, when I looked at career um, when I defined uh, a source career site as a source, I'm talking about the employers' career pages on their career site.
2: In your key findings, you write, however, respondents also believe that social media influences, drives, mm-hmm. or combines with seven out of 11 other sources,
3: yep. referrals,
2: company career site, job yep. boards, yep. direct source, college, temp to hire, and career force. Yep. And you, then you're right, if we understood just how interdependent these sources are, we might credit social media with a much higher impact for these openings.
3: A- absolutely. So I'm, my, my point being that um, I don't view them as interchangeable. They're not the same things, but they are interdependent in that you cannot have one with, increasingly, you cannot have one. People will not want to be hired without spending time studying the company on a, or expecting to be able to study the company on the career site. So if you, if you do not have a quality uh, set of career pages uh, describing who you are and what you are and what you're about and what your employment brand is, that's consistent with what I found in social media, um, I pr- you probably are going to lose the best quality candidates. You need both. You need social media. You need referral capability. You need uh career site. You need a variety of different things. And I think more and more thats that's what we have to better understand.
2: So what you're saying is, if the candidate reviews a career page on a website and then goes out to social media and the information they find doesn't support what the company says about itself on its career page, then they may lose that candidate.
3: Oh, you bet. And and um, companies that overlook this kind of approach from a branding marketing point of view especially um, are going to be the losers as a result. So a company that uh, seems to have some consistency in their facebook and career site etc but if i went to um, glassdoor for example and i find i find uh, lots of uh, employees saying quite the opposite from what's on that uh on those sites uh yeah you're going to have you're going to have inconsistencies that uh, that good quality candidates right uh, cuz they're the ones who are doing the research uh we'll we'll notice in a minute
2: Many have told me to take a look at Sudexo. that they really are sort of the gold standard for the use of social, um, for recruitment marketing. And I actually had Kelly Rada on the show
3: Yeah, uh, last Chloe week. is a great person. I had actually had dinner with her last week.
2: And uh, she gave me some stats about their mobile app, which they actually are attributing Source of Hire to. Um, she says since the launch of the app, which been, has been downloaded roughly 15,000 times, They saw a 233% increase in visits to their mobile site and generated more than 1.5 million mobile page views in 2012. And then she says from a hiring standpoint, 107 new hires can be attributed directly to the Sodexo Jobs app. And then she said of those new hires, 29% were minorities and 27% were female. Mm-hmm. Um, give me, if you would, sort of your blink on that data. How would you, what would your analysis of that data be?
3: Um, I would tell you that that's why Sodexo would, I would view a from, a from a very positive way, not because they're using that, not because they've got an app, not because, et cetera, but because they actually are tracking those numbers, but but they're processing. That's the most the most thousand. important thing is that they're actually looking at what they're doing. And and what they have that a lot of other companies don't have is the resource to do a lot of different things. So what Sodexo, where where Sodexo is successful is not that they're not that they're doing a lot of social media, but that they in fact are measuring a lot of what they do. And as a result, the things that don't work well, they drop quickly. And, th- and a lot of companies miss that. They- so, they- so they basically randomly get involved in some aspect of social media, but they are uh, using anecdotal information as to whether or not it's working. I think the numbers that uh, Sodexo is showing clearly indicate that there is a significant uptick in the use of uh, mobile tools to engage in the recruiting process. But let's not – I don't want to go too far with that because there are some choke points there. The ability to apply is not as simple and easy as some might make it out to be. I think uh, that's one of the major choke points. And and companies must relook at their process in order – if they're going to – if they're going to be fully mobile uh, from a recruiting point of view. And most companies right now are incapable of creating a, a mobile application uh, that make that is uh, user-friendly for, for people who are using that. So they can do part of those mobile pieces, um, but they're going to have to do more internal work before they get uh, get beyond that. But whatever they do, they should be figuring out um, where where the pe- where individuals are coming to them how they're getting there to what extent uh their visitor base and then their applicant base and then their hire base and then they went the extra mile so what you the data you gave me from uh from Chloe indicates that they also know that among the hire base they've got a fair distribution uh that's diverse and that's powerful
2: Final question, yeah. Final <laughs> question, Jerry. So your survey found, not surprisingly, that most recruiters are using LinkedIn, um, you know, to source, uh, to identify and and um, to identify candidates and and being used as sorts of hire. Yep. Um, but it also found that recruiters are often discovering better talent elsewhere. So. Mm-hmm is Is there a misalignment here, and if so, what should recruiters be doing to identify where the best and the brightest are before they even launch out on social media
3: Well uh, it, if you are really talking about where what recruiters should be doing in the future, I think uh, one of the one of the critical issues and it 's uh, going to be and I think linkedin will will certainly be a part of all of that. First of all, in our culture, in in the the culture of the United States, we do not do uh, 800-pound gorillas very well. And uh, 10 years ago, Monster was the 800-pound gorilla. Uh, Today, LinkedIn is the 800-pound gorilla. We would love to have a silver bullet that solves all our problems, answers all of our questions. We're not going to find it, not in our culture, Um, because the very best candidates – Will see themselves abused and overused, uh, and will eventually find ways uh, to either maintain privacy or to push off those recruiters who are trying to reach them through a single source. So, so recruiters have to always be agile. So, I mean, the number one issue is being flexible, being agile. Uh, pi- some to some degree, you got to be pioneering in spirit to examine and look at new tools, um, not discard the old tools, whether it be LinkedIn or job boards or even newspapers. All things are possible, but they are shifting in terms of what's important and what will reach the right people, the people that we really want. So the, the answer to your question is we need to study the audience with the same intensity and with the same um, skills and discipline that marketers study customers, and that's not happened until until recently. In in terms of um, uh, recruiting, uh, marketers have been studying groups of of consumers for many many years, and they've developed a whole host of tools. And they need to be applied um, more appropriately in the recruiting context, and I think are beginning to and that way, as we learn about the behavior of the kinds of candidates that we 're looking for, um, where they're coming from originally, and obviously if they're getting an education getting training, then it 's the source of that training and where where you know what schools are they going to, what programs are they engaged in. What are they learning and what are their, what kind of interests are they building there? And then obviously in their early years in work. So we're, we're learning about them and we're beginning to track them, uh, with much more skill and capability, uh, than ever before. And I think that the next level of recruiting, um, um, excellence, if you will, will be, uh, how we gather that data and analyze that data so that we have more efficient uh, use in terms of the campaigns that we conduct uh, to find and search for candidates and then uh, and then contact them.
2: Jerry Crispin, principal and co-founder of Career Experts, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you, Eric.
0: You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at On The Record, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On The Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.